going on, listeners? Welcome back to another episode of the Unfounded Podcast. My name is Christopher Turner, and I am your host. I hope you're doing well today. I hope you're feeling good. I hope coronavirus doesn't have you down. (laughs) Uh, This thing seems like it's going to never end, huh? That's how I'm feeling, at least. I hope you're not feeling the same. Excuse me. Uh, It is a, what, Friday morning now, I guess. Yeah, Friday morning, uh, about 10 in the morning here for me in Las Vegas, Nevada. Beautiful day today. It's a little warm, actually. Uh, I just got done taking Dixie for a walk, and uh, I had a sweat going at the end of it, so definitely a little bit warmer than it's uh, been the last couple weeks, but hey, you know what? It's the desert. What can I? What did I expect, right? <laughs> uh, I am missing those Colorado uh, summers right now, for sure. Uh, anyway, I wanted to get back on here. Uh, I hadn't been on here, I think, since Monday, and... Uh, kind of yell at you a little bit, (laughs) Um, get some more ideas out. So uh, I've been watching a lot of uh, YouTube recently, a lot of, uh, I I watch a lot of different like news channels on there. And then I have um, kind of a a big news feed that I've curated over the years, kind of through content that I enjoy, things like that. So there's a lot of documentaries I get through there and and things like that. And one of the things I came across uh, the other day, it, it was really interesting. It was actually a documentary on um, Seattle, and it was from one of the it was from one of the uh, news stations, the local news stations, and it was titled "Seattle is Dying." If anybody's uh, interested in this at all or anything I'm about to talk about, um, definitely check out the uh, work. I'll, I'll try to post a link to it in the show notes so you can check it out yourself. Um, but it's a kind of real in depth documentary and look at uh, kind of what's going on in Seattle and uh, kind of the, the, the difficulties they're having with homelessness, um, but also how that relates to other issues, other social issues. Um, and one of, I think, the uh, it's a good kind of, what's the word I'm trying to look for? It's a good example of kind of how we can go wrong and just assuming that the best thing to do for people is care for them. Uh, because, and, and I got to, like, let me define what I mean by care. I, I'm, I'm using kind of like the more... Um, the soft version of it, right? Like care, caring in that um, do no harm ever, right? And so it, it leads to this idea that um, people just need to be saved from the systems that have corrupted them and the uh, environments that have uh, led them astray, right? Uh, that there's no culpability within the individual themselves, that it's all kind of an external process. And uh, and this is kind of the bet that Seattle has made uh, over the last 20 years or so. Uh, and this is what this documentary outlines is kind of the downfall and the growth of this homeless problem, uh, but not only a homelessness problem, a uh, also a, a like a a crime problem, right? A drug problem. Um, there's uh, I don't want to go into too much detail. I'll let you watch the documentary for yourself. Um, but essentially, what it lays out is kind of this growing, uh, growing problem where Seattle has become—I forget what the word was. There was one part in it where this guy had this nickname for Seattle. It was a uh, Freeattle. That's it. And it's—it's—it's it's, it's, it's gotten this connotation as a place where you can go um, if you're down on your luck, essentially, and you'll get free things, right? You'll get free housing. You'll get—they'll give you a tent. They'll give you a, you know, free food. You know, and the other idea is too that there's not a lot of culpability within the legal system. That the legal system has been like the—it's t- been defanged in a sense, and so police within Seattle don't have uh, the ability to kind of do much against uh, the, uh, the homeless problem, right? And, I, and I, I don't mean to sound cold when I say homeless problem, right? Because I understand that, you know, homelessness is, a, is an issue that's close to us right now everywhere, you know? It's, it's, it's a hard issue to deal with. It's a human issue, right? <clears throat> but um, it really does get down to this idea, this fundamental idea, and I think this is why I'm bringing it up. It's like, do you believe that people are fundamentally good or bad, 
right? This is kind of what your political. This is this is uh, this is what I think grows your political view. This is what each political party will will uh, uh, is kind of seizing on when they try to pull you over to their side. Is do you think that people are inherently good, or do you think people are inherently bad? If you think people are inherently good, a lot of the ideas, the political ideas that grow out of that, will come. Uh, you, you'll see how it lines up on one side of the aisle, right? Uh, same for the other, right? So, and an example of that would be like. Um, I think like you can see it within. Um, I'm trying to think here. Really. I was going to use the gun debate, but I don't know if it's a really good example. Uh, but this is a good example of like uh, of homelessness, I guess, in, in general. Is like one of the more conservative arguments would be that these people need to pick themselves up, right? That you can you can provide some kind of structure for them to operate within, but that you can't do it for them. Uh, and because uh, people are inherently kind of flawed and, and lazy and, 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 and don't want to do things if you give them things. So they're going to kind of take advantage, I guess, is the idea. They'll take advantage if they're given the chance. Um, <clears throat> that's the more conservative argument, right? The more li- liberal argument would be that, all oh, these people have been subjected to a system that has uh, done them wrong in some way. Um, that society itself has done them wrong. Maybe their family has done them wrong. Maybe just the culmination of their experience has led them to this place where they no longer are able to help themselves. Thus, it's now responsibility of society and the, uh, at large to help them, uh, which is why you get kind of this more like bleeding heart idea coming out of the, the, the left, right? Uh, now, one of the things, the reason I'm bringing up this documentary is it's a very, very good case study into this. That's the word I was trying to think of earlier, because it shows, it demonstrates kind of what happens if you play out these, this model at a, at a grand scale. Now, the thing I'm going to, I'm not going to argue for either. I'm not going to argue for the conservative or liberal argument. I'm going to attempt to not argue for one. I do think the conservative argument's a little bit more on par in this scenario, but, um, I also think, like, and it, it's a it's a kind of a cop out, but both sides are kind of right and wrong at the same time, right? Um, <clears throat> there's when you when you take away legal system provides a structure, that's what it's there for, ideally, a legal system. It's there to kind of provide an, a, a, to to keep things reined in, so that people know that there's something they can depend on. If things go out of control, that there's a system, a greater system that can kind of rein things back in. You know, if somebody takes advantage of you or does something wrong or, or, or something illegal, for instance, then there's a system that takes that kind of uh, snaps into play then and kind of corrects it, corrects everything back to the right, the right way or the right path, whatever. Right. <clears throat> this is the uh, ideal behind the legal system, at least. And at least the way I conceptualize it. And um, I think it's necessary, obviously, uh, at some level for us to have a functioning society that is able to have like commerce and economy in a sense, right? Um, but you also have to be careful because it can become tyrannical. You know what I mean? Like uh, the legal system can be used in a way that to kind of benefit individuals uh, to where it becomes so complicated in nature that it actually uh, can, can punish the wrong individuals or kind of uh, allow people who are... are uh, entering into that space with bad intent to win in a sense right um i think you see this identity within the legal system uh, represented by kind of the uh, defense lawyer uh the kind of like sleazy defense lawyer that doesn't give a shit if you're guilty or innocent but just kind of wants to work the system to get you off um this is the idea right that's one of the that's one of the perverted corrupted sides of the justice system that can come out and this is one of the things that you hear the liberal side or the the left kind of argue against 
uh, a lot of the times. And why it's been defanged, I think, in a, in a, in a lot of ways is because I think people identify not only that, like not that specific example, just like defense attorneys, but a lot of the laws that have been put in place is kind of benefiting certain individuals or groups, thus kind of um, uh, su- subjugating the other uh, others, right, and creating others out of everyone else. And, uh, and so we've defanged a lot of these laws because we want to allow for people to operate in a free society. We don't want them to be held back, all these kind of things. <clears throat> but it's like, where do you draw the line? You know, it's like, uh, here, here's a good example. It's like you can have the laws in place and you can have the officers out there enforcing them. This is what happened in the documentary. But if the legal system, the judge itself or whatever, doesn't, it gets in a habit or uh, kind of develops, I forget what it is, like jurisprudence, I think is the term. It, it, if, if, if there's like this, uh, you know, way of doing things that gets set in stone where it's like, hey, you know what, this offense isn't that bad. One of them was they, one of the uh, offenses they bring up uh, in in the documentary is uh, urinating in public, right? Or defecating in public. This is something that goes on constantly around uh, Seattle, apparently, and is a big issue because of the homeless problem. And there's no, you know, w- they can't go into businesses and things like that to use the restroom. So they, they go on the streets, right? And because this is a, you know, the homeless problem is continually growing and they haven't found a way to solve the underlying problem. They don't have anywhere. They don't want to like say businesses, you have to let them use the bathrooms because that's infringing on the right of the business to kind of refuse service. So they're like, okay, we'll just, don't enforce the law, right? And so then you have these officers that are caught in this situation where they're out there trying to enforce the law, but then when they drag people in for doing these, you know, they can sit them, watch them, you know, pee or urinate in public, and it's like a $20 fine and they're back out on the street, right? Uh, and I'm not saying you lock them up forever, but like it's, it, there's this, uh, this cycle where it's like you play, it doesn't, it's not effective. The solution isn't effective, but because we don't know or don't have any other solutions, we just kind of, repeat or reprint the same solution uh, like with our eyes closed kind of in our fin- in our fingers and our ears going la 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 hoping it works you know what I mean that's kind of what's happened in Seattle and I think that's what's going to happen on a grander scale with the United States if we aren't careful with where we go with this <laughs> honestly um, because there's this push on a grander scale to kind of I think uh, take or def- defang everything in a sense right make everything kind of soft in a way where it doesn't hurt anybody um and it it stems from this idea of making sure that nobody's offended it really does it's like it's a very uh it's like how can i how can i stop myself from offending you when whatever you're going to be offended by is completely dependent on your perspective that I can't by know by definition right i can never know what your perspective is because i don't i'm not you but you're telling me that I have to kind of, you see the lunacy, right? I hope I'm, I'm getting like really kind of into a weird topic here that I wasn't expecting, <laughs> honestly. Um, but I guess the documentary about it really hit home for me because it was it was it was an eye opener too. Because you have this natural inclination, I guess is what I'm getting to is like you have this natural inclination all of us do inside of ourselves that we want to help people. Uh, I was listening to a, a Joe Rogan podcast yesterday about this I, I i forget which one it was i'll have to look it up for you but i will uh, and post it for you um anyway they were talking about um it's one of the recent ones uh they were talking about kind of this idea that um damn i lost it just lost it right there 
oh, but you want to help people, right? You want, and and, and the, everybody kind of does have this natural inclination inside. You want to leverage that, that, that each individual wants to leverage to help people. The problem is, is it's very easy to kind of corrupt this drive. It's like something you can latch on to. Um, it's something you can kind of... Uh, it's a, way, it's a really effective way to motivate people, I think is what we're finding out right now. It's like one of the really, really effective ways you can motivate people is to scare the crap out of them. Another way is to kind of make them feel as if they need to save people. Right? And um, what's scaring me about it is is like I think there's this, it's, it's this, and I don't mean to offend anybody, right? By saying this, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to attack, but I think there's this cult-like behavior developing within the United States and it centers around groups like Black Lives Matter, uh, some of the feminist organizations, some the more radical left organizations. There's also this growing unrest on the right, I think, that's been there for a long time that's now bubbling up too. Obviously, this alt-right kind of, uh, 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 I guess you could call it a white supremacy, um, but it's kind of different than that now because it's it's been more politically charged. So there's like this, there's these growing radical groups that we've all seen. You know, everybody saw Charlottesville, Charlottesville, and all the like the atrocity that came out of that, right? But then you also have um, you have these other groups, these other left groups that are now very very radical. And the problem with the the reason that I I'm I'm bringing up the left groups more than I'm bringing up the right groups is because the left groups are being embraced by mainstream pol- politicians and political organizations. These are radical groups that are at the center of a lot of unrest, but our political like leaders or leadership is is defaulting or or handing down the responsibility of leading people to these organizations. That is so dangerous. And that's partially why I think I'm sure you as a listener probably are confused as hell what you should do, who you should be right now, right? Because your heartstrings are being pulled on and tugged on. Every time you turn on the TV, the media, every single organization, doesn't matter what it is, is sitting there trying to pull you in one direction, using your heartstrings. Or maybe it's trying to get you angry. If you're on the right, if you lean more right, like I, I, that, you're probably, like a lot of those organizations, I, watch, I try to watch both. A lot of the right channels try to use more of like an anger to motivate people. It's like, look at, or it's like this ignorance. It's like, it's like saying, look at how ignorant all these, these libtards are. Like, this is how they'll refer to them, right? And it, it's like, and it's like, look, and it's like it uses this anger like they're trying to take something away from you right they're trying to take this this american dream away from you right and and it's it, and then there's this other side the, the the liberal side that kind of paints the right side as like this um fascist like like group that has this maniacal plan to kind of make the whole world white and 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 and, and essentially reenact nazi germany it's like this it's this it's this weird kind of both of them are fantasy lands, right? That we're playing in. And that's why it's so confusing. I think for you listeners is like, it's, and for me as well, it's like, it's confusing as hell in today's modern society to figure out who you should follow because follow, because there isn't anybody to follow. I don't see one person, not one person out there that has any, like even like a smidge of integrity, like even a bit that speaks any kind of truth. The last tr- like true thing I've, I've seen uh, has been like Ricky Gervais. And at the same time, it's like it was true, but he used it as an attack. So it's like truth isn't very effective when it's used as an attack. I don't, I, I don't think. But at least he was speaking truth. It's refreshing. 
to like kind of get through the bullshit and the and the the fog that's out there right now. You know what I mean? It's just a cloud. It's a cloud of of craziness and hysteria. A lot of it centers around the, you know, started with this corona. It's like the coronavirus kicked off something. And now we're kind of in this haze, this tornado of sorts. You know, we're Alice, or not Alice, um, we're Dorothy, right? In the middle of that tornado. And, and, and the house is going everywhere. And we're like, Toto's like flying around. And we're like, what the hell's going on here? And it's like, are we still in Kansas? Like, hell no, you're not in Kansas. Like, we're, we're somewhere else, man. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, we're somewhere far off from Kansas. You know, we're we're going to Oz, I think, <laughs> you know, and, and we got to figure out like how the hell it, it's, it's like, we don't want to go back to Kansas. I guess I'm trying to, maybe I should get out of the met, like the, the was the metaphor, I guess, um, or analogy. I always mix those up. It's, it's one of those things. Anyway, um, one uses like, right? Yeah, whatever. Uh, <laughs> language arts. Woo! Obviously not my, Maybe it was one of my better subjects now that I think about it. I, anyway, I'm, I'm getting very off topic. But we're, we're in this haze, this confusion. And it's because there's a lack of leadership. That's 100% why. There's no leaders out there. Everybody's playing an ego game. And it's so blatantly obvious. And it, it's funny. It's actually comical to watch because they all think they're tricking each other. Because <laughs> they are. They are all deceiving each other. Just they're not deceiving everybody. I think there's a lot of you out there you, that are listening to this that aren't deceived by that. Or shouldn't be. Because these people are playing you for fools. I'm not talking about one specific side. I'm talking about all sides. I'm talking about the media sources on all sides. They're all playing you for fools. They're all telling you that you're going to be... They, they are all trying to assert their worldview on you. That's what they're trying to do. It doesn't matter who it is. Like I said, I, I, there's no, there's nobody out there saying, "Hey, you know what? You should, you should, you should just kind of figure out what what you like to do, man." <laughs> you know, you, you should. Hey, maybe you should like kind of, um, I don't know, vote your conscience. You haven't heard that in a while, right? <laughs> vote your conscience. Uh, the tribalism has gotten d- distilled down to kind of like a hyper potent form. Uh, in our in our political system, uh, it, and and it, it's because of that it's hyper corruptible too. It's one of the things that I think I experienced when I was in D.C. I wasn't there for a long time, uh, and I don't mean to like disparage anybody I worked with because I worked with some wonderful people. Like I really did. There's wonderful people everywhere, uh, and I really enjoyed the organization I was associated with too. Like it's it's there's a lot of um, positive things in that in D.C. too. There's a lot of people there with very good intention. As we've covered before in previous episodes, the worst things are done with the best intentions, man. It's one of the issues I think that DC is having as a, as a, as a, I'm referring to it as a kind of a political panacea. It's like this, everybody has the best intentions. And everybody on all sides does. It's weird. It's like, it, not, not everybody. There's, all, there's obviously people there that are just playing the ego game. And they know they're playing the ego game. They're kind of, I would call those people sociopaths. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that's you. I think that's kind of the definition of a sociopath is somebody that kind of manipulates people and knows it and plays it as a game, kind of uses people's emotions to bend their will, right? And there's a lot of people that, that get into positions of power that 
operate that way, and it's because they are more dominant in certain ways, right? Our, we haven't properly identified those traits in these organizations as things that we should steer clear from when we're trying to determine who should be in those positions of power. We haven't instilled the virtues inside of those organizations as well. And when I say instill them, I mean like enshrine them in some kind of verbal form, some kind of format that you can replicate and repeat and teach to people so that they know that this is what this represents, right? And that this is what you need to embody if you go up in it. And then it also requires that you have gatekeepers within that organization that do their job and don't promote people that, that are there for, for, for anything other than the role itself. And it's not like you want people there to just do the role. It's like you want the, the right person there. It's like the search is harder than we, we've admitted to ourselves in general. For our, all this, is, this goes for any organization, not just political organizations, right? It's like any organization. You, you need to... I truly and utterly believe that there's a person out there that is a perfect fit for every role you can think of. If you can think of a job, there's a person out there that not only want, like, what could do that perfectly, but wants to. That wants to do that. But the, the, the problem is, is we, we have developed this system that's so rigid that tells people they need to go through it in a very linear way. And this linear path is always going to determine what's your best, you know, what the best version of you is. And it's so backwardsly wrong that it produces things like the homeless problem, too. I do think there is this, like, it's not a question of nurture or nature. It's both. It really is. It's 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 more complicated than that. We try to we try to simplify things in this world down to something that's easier to digest, and just it's because our egos are too small and too fucking insignificant to actually be able to understand what's going on around us, the complexity of any of this. But we are so kind of confined by that ego, we don't realize there's something bigger than that, something else. There's a, a bigger perception there. Like you, and and, and I'm getting <laughs> more spiritual now too, right? But like it's it's it's. <clears throat> For me, all of these things link together. They're all the same thing. You know what I mean? I don't like, I guess, and part of, the, part of my goal with the podcast has been to try to link these perspectives together for you all as listeners as well. So that like, I think for, for one, that there's a, to, to illustrate or show first that there is a philosophical perspective because I don't think anybody thinks that way anymore. Right? I don't think we I don't think we've taught that way of thinking in school. And it is a it's a method of thinking that has to be kind of taught the same way it's like a language. You know, it's a method of interacting with the world and playing with ideas. And it literally is kind of a different perspective that you take within yourself to to organize those ideas and to kind of um, develop new ones and novel ones. We haven't taught those kind of skills within our educational system. We've only taught the STEM things. Right, the things that are very kind of fixed and linear, and because of that, we've gotten a lot of jobs out there that pay really high wages, that give you really good careers, that focus only on the STEM fields, and we get a lot of jobs out there that don't pay anything, that you know are artistic based or philosophically based, you know, that leverage these other perspectives. They're spiritually based, right? Is one of the downsides, the negative aspects that we don't like to associate with capitalism. This is one of the offshoot, offshoots of it is, yes, when you set up a system that kind of automatically promotes within the thing that produces the, produces the most profit, essentially, then what you automatically create is a disincentive to produce anything that doesn't make profit. But that assumes that that money itself is the only thing that holds value, which is not true. 
it actually holds the least value. <laughs> it holds no intrinsic value. Money does. It's a it's an intermediary. So what we did with capitalism, these this system, and it works for a while until you get to where we're at now, right? Like, and I, I'm not trying to argue for communism. I want you to, I want you to, or a planned economy. I want you to understand that as well. But I, I am arguing for, like I was saying, trying to instill or enshrine within each of these systems some idea of virtue. I am trying to get through or work out how you do that, but I think it does. It, there's something to speaking it into being. When I say that, it mean I mean like we need to enshrine it. It's like in government. I think part. Of, I've said this many times. I think the founding fathers really fun like messed up fundamentally, and it's not like it's like they were they were imperfect. It's a good thing to view them that way. We view them as these godlike figures. That's so unhealthy. But we need to view them as these figures that were fallible. And I think one of the ways they messed up is they assumed that that there would be this basic fundamental foundational i think christian virtue system carried on through religious uh freedom i guess is the idea like like it was the like because, and i think not only christian it's like i think the founding fathers understood something deeper than that i think i think most of them did if you read any of them like benjamin franklin or uh, i haven't read a lot but a little bit of benjamin franklin i guess right um thomas jefferson but uh, i think they were so in such intellectual figures and they were they were all very like kind of enigmatic in ways but um i i think one of the things they must have recognized is this universality of virtue like I don't think I there's no way they didn't un- identify this, right? And I think there is a universality of virtue that you could recognize within the religions regardless of where you find them. I think one of the reasons that they used or identified with Christian religion more often than Eastern religion is Christian religion is much more focused on I on I ensh- enshrinement of ideals. So like I was just watching a video by Alan Watts earlier today and he was he was talking about how like eastern religion and and specifically like zen buddhism or buddhism itself kind of focuses more on on the practical or the philosophical like the like watching your life and taking your drawing from it right learning about it and recognizing that it's all kind of one thing whereas um so in, in a sense like the uh the teachings of of the Buddha are like life lessons, right? They're, they're, they're very practical things. Whereas in, in, um, uh, in, in Christian religion or Western religion, I guess, uh, in, in it, there's this, um, in, there's this more of a in the head kind of thinking of things. Um, a lot of the religious aspects of it, it comes from this, this inter dialogue within yourself between you and this deity, Right. And, and, and that, that, that there's this virtue that comes through in the idea of that deity, the idea of perfection. It's, it's kind of this intellectual exercise, I think, Western religion is, where it's like you go inside of your head and you try to imagine perfection. Uh, not just like any perfection, your perfection. Right, uh, that's what the idea of Jesus is. Like the representation of Him is, I think, inside of people is the perfection inside of all of us. Um, right? It's and it's not that you will ever be that, but it's that you can imagine it. And so it's like you think you can imagine it, right? So there's something to trying to get to that perfection, right? And th- and what that does for you is lays out a, a path a map of sorts that has like virtues as guardrails and those virtues are the things that are universal that kind of guard like i said that that can, can be translated between that western interpretation of religion and the eastern interpretations 
And so that translation is something that needs to take take place. And we need to, as a society, as a culture, I think as a country, um, kind of recognize that value and those virtues and then distill them, pull them out of those religions and enshrine them, uh, define them inside of our legal structures. So that, 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 uh, and I'm not saying it in a punitive sense. I want to make that very clear. I'm not saying that you like punish people for not, for, for being, I, I think like in certain ways you could define how that like aligns well, like the wrathful, right? Or the opposite of the virtues, right? Wrath, being wrathful would probably align with like things, things like murder and those kind of things, right? So you can, you can understand how they already kind of line up, but it's not like you would have like a direct punishment for wrath. Right, I'm not trying to envision a system in which you like you you, you, you you it's punitive if you're not like you know courageous. Right, I'm not trying to say that. I am saying we need to make it. We need to figure out a way to identify that those are things we need to hold inside of each individual and represent inside like that each individual needs to find within themselves if they want to properly embody whatever they they need to do in this world, and that there is a necessity, a deep necessity behind like inside of that that this is one of the fundamental assumptions that the founding fathers got so right is that you rely on the individual, you focus on the individual, you create an environment in which the individual can flourish so that they can focus within, not in a selfish way, but in a, in a, in a, in a self-critical way so that they can develop the, the skills and traits necessary to realize their full potential. And that we need to create a system that does that better. We don't do that very well right now. We do a shit job of that right now. In fact, we actually disincentivize those virtues inside of people. I know that because I've been within systems that do that over and over again. I'm sure you have as well. I'm sure you've seen or worked in places where where people that have, have cut corners have gotten ahead for it, right? And not only have they gotten ahead for it, but like they, it's like um, there's this agreement or this understanding that this is the way things are done. Now, and I see this popping up within many organizations. You know, I think this is one of the issues within most political systems, uh, organizations, in our political system itself. Uh, is this corruption has gotten to a point? It's like a it's like a cancer. It's 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 infected things. It's got to be cut out in a way. But I don't. I, when I say that, I don't mean it in a violent way. You know, I don't mean to like as a call for action. I want to make that very clear, right? I'm, I'm saying like a, I'm talking about it and playing with the idea so that we can kind of see how we need to. Um, triage, you know, because that, that is really the point we're at. I think people is like, we are at a point, we are at a crisis point in this country. And I think at at a global scale, it's going to spread to a global scale because whether other countries want to recognize it or not, though the United States has been the leader in the Western world and the thing that has pulled most of the world out of, (laughs) uh, essentially the dark ages. at least for the last hundred years. And if that goes away, somebody else has to take that place, right? And I want to ask you one question. Who do you think is poised to take over that space if the United States fails? I know there's two countries that I can think of that could have, that have like the power and the audacity to try to do that. One being China and one being Russia. Maybe both of them together. Who knows? But 
and I'm not trying to get doomsday either. I'm just trying to, you know, like I said, I'm presenting this. Like you don't, as as kind of a thought experiment, you don't want. We don't want to be too drastic with what we do with the United States, and I'm actually kind of talking more towards like like U.S. citizens, right? Like I, like like we as citizens don't want to tear this thing down. I hear a lot of like I I feel this like call for revolution, you know, that's been building and building and building, and it started. It, it's kind of it, this idea kind of kernelized, I think, around. It was, it was right around when Trump got elected because there was this, this hysteria, this panic, like, oh, my God, four years is such a long time. We need to overthrow this thing or something, you know? Like I, and I, I felt, because like I said, I, when I was at the time, like I, I had, was, what, just, I just got into D.C. or just, it was, it was right after the election that I went to D.C. So I was like, and I was studying politics. So like, this is what I lived and breathed every day. And I was very, very far left. Just, you know, so you know, like that's kind of where I sided on, on the political spectrum at that time. And uh, I noticed when I went to, not only when I went to D.C., but kind of with like the uh, organizations that I would engage with, the uh, um, the information sources that I would engage with. Like I used to really like to listen to uh, one of the podcasts was Pod Save America. I loved that one. Um, uh, what was the other one? Uh, there's a bunch of them. I, I, I listened to uh, The Weeds constantly. That was another one I really liked uh, uh, that that podcast. But anyway, like I would go through it, And what I noticed is like there was this growing kind of uneasiness with like what had gone on and how we solve it. And there was this like rooting for finding any way to get that out of there. And it, it led to this, I think, this radicalization that over the last four years within the liberal kind of political movement in this country to feel like there needs to be a revolution of sorts. I guess, and I think that's so dangerous. It's so dangerous. It's so dangerous. Like we, like a revolution is like, is not, and we as American citizens don't have the correct. I don't. We don't conceptualize revolution properly. Like we think of it as this good thing because the American Revolution went so well for us, right? But if you look at revolution in terms, like historical terms, it's a very, very negative connotation. Revolution usually means a lot of death and suffering, and usually a worse system after the fact, most of the time. Like that's that's the rule. We're the exception to the rule. We really are. We were a flaw. Like we're a fluke in a sense. Like that's that's we should consider ourselves lucky in a way that we're still here um, because this was an experiment of sorts. I do think, and one of the things we need to recognize as U.S. citizens, as this election nears and as this chaos grows, because I guarantee you it will grow as we get closer to the election. You're going to feel more and more out of control because people are purposely doing this. The information you're being fed is being manipulated in a way, and it's being fed to you in a way because these egos out there want to manipulate your ego. They think they know how to control you. They think they know if they scare you or if they tug on your heartstrings hard enough, you're going to run out there and vote a certain way. And the closer we get to this election because of all the craziness that's happened over the last four years, the crazier that's going to get because I'm telling you there's this radicalization that's going on I think it's more politically apparent because the left is out of power right now, so you see it everywhere. Everywhere. But it's this idea that we're not going to lose, no matter what. I don't know if you guys feel this building, if anybody else out there feels this building, but I feel this, this, this feeling building of all of these radical groups, like I said, like these... These more radical feminist groups, these more radical, you know, like the Black Lives Matter group, um, all of these kind of 
gender rights activist groups and things like that. All of these these groups are getting more radical because they're done. They're not going to put up with Trump, four more years of Trump, all this kind of stuff. And I feel this call, this growing call for like a um, a revolution of sorts. And, it, and it's dangerous. It's so dangerous. It's so dangerous, right? And I, I, I guess what I, the reason I'm bringing it up is, is we, we, and the reason I brought up that documentary is we have proof, guys. We don't want that kind of revolution, right? If we, if there's, there's been proof throughout history, especially in the 21st century, the 20th century. If you want to look at the 20th century specifically, if you want to look at how much pain and suffering these kind of ideas can cause, you can look through the 20th century, the history of it. There's millions of examples of how much suffering it can cause. You know what I mean? You know, in the form of millions of dead people from, you know, socialism and communism. Now, I know people hate when you bring up that term, those words, because it's like, well, that's again, it's, it's attached to this feeling of, of feeling like a good person. It's like, well, well, I want to, you know, everything should be equal. Everything should be ideal. Everybody should have a fair shake. Everybody should. And it's like, you're not wrong about a lot of those things. I'm also going to tell, tell you one other thing. I don't know who told you this or who convinced you of this. It probably was yourself, but the world isn't fair. You don't get to have everything just because you decide you want it. It doesn't work that way. That's part of the problem with all of these radical groups is they just get more radical and then they get to that point where they say, you know what? No, I am all there is and I don't care. And this is how it's going to be and we're going to make the rest of the world change to us and that's exactly how you enact absolutely horrendous things in this world and I see that coming so these groups need to be careful with what they're playing with be real careful because on the flip side there's also I think within this country a very very strong very very strong like identity that it's almost like a, it's you don't want to shake it awake right like it, it's it's a it's the same thing. Like it's like a, the uh, after Pearl Harbor. You know that that general was was quoted as saying one of the Japanese generals was quoted as saying, you know, when we've awakened the sleeping giant, um, kind of this ominous, you know, quote that you know foreboding quote of what was to come. And I feel that kind of here too. And it's odd that I feel that sensation here too in this time frame because like. Um, it also coincides with the coronavirus, right? And I don't know if any of you listened to... I didn't actually listen to it. There's a Joe Rogan podcast recently that he interviewed... Uh, it was one of, uh, one of the Weinstein, uh, Weinstein brothers. Weinstein brothers, whichever way you pronounce it, I can't remember. Um, anyway, the, uh, and he was you know, talking about kind of the eeriness or, the, or kind of how there's a lot of signs, I guess, that, uh, that this coronavirus thing could have been manufactured. You know, that we originally didn't want to kind of admit that or play with the idea that this could have been manufactured or intentionally released. But there's a lot of um, clues pointing that direction, one of them being that kind of mutations don't happen that fast in nature, essentially is the argument, right? Again, I didn't watch it, so I don't want to present too much. <laughs> it's something I don't know. I don't want to espouse it as fact, right? But uh, I will listen to it, and maybe we can talk about it in another episode. Um, but I do think that there's this weird, like the reason I brought it up is like, I do fear this for this, this weird, similar eerie feeling of like, you don't want to wake a sleeping giant. And I brought it up in context of kind of the more radical left groups in the country right now. Um, I do mean it 
towards the radical right groups as well. I just don't see them as much right now. You know, like I said, it's like the because the right is is in power in a sense in the presidency. You, you always see this. Like the, whatever group is in political power, they tend to be a little bit more subdued. You know, because they feel like they're being represented, so they don't feel like they need to lash out as much. You know, and that then, but then, like as soon as that switches, the right, the right will like if, if if let's say that um, Biden wins, you know, the next day after, you're going to see the radical right groups go through the freaking roof. Like it's it's the same thing. It's the same people. It's people, man. It's like you're no different. This tribalism is if you're better than the other person. That's one of the issues that I really disagree with on the left is like this identity that's like been developed that says you're only a good person if you believe in the left values. And it's like no, 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 no. <laughs> you know. I mean, that's what I'm talking about, pulling on your heartstrings. There's this really insidious way that the left has recruited people, especially young children in school, to tell them that there's only one virtuous way of living. And it's this way of life. It's this left-leaning political worldview that you have to take on or else you're a bad person. This is what's been taught to people for the last 20, 25 years. And it's one of the issues because it's what shows you that there's an evil thing growing within uh, that side of the uh, the aisle right now, now that it won't grow on the right as well, and it has before. But we need to watch for it, guys, because uh, there's this sleeping giant quality, and it could it could you know like we don't want revolution here, but because we also have other things that may be affecting this. We might have we we may have other countries. Like I said, there's a real possibility that China may have released this intentionally. You know, you need to play with that idea for a second. What if they did do that? Why would they do that? There's only one real logical answer for that, and it's to create, to sow division, to sow chaos. Exactly what's happening right now, guys. So if you're on one of those radical sides, either of them, I didn't mean to kind of only focus on the left side. Again, I don't want to kind of, I'm, I'm, I'm trying really hard here not to make anybody sing, feel singled out, right? But any side, if you feel like the best thing to do is double down on what you've already assumed is true, you're a one hunt. That's the one thing that will demonstrate you are wrong. Everybody, the one thing that we need to realize globally for, and I don't know how, what it's going to take to realize this, but it's, it's that we're all so fallible, man. Like we, we need to figure this out. Like that we're all, we are not all the correct at the same time. It can't happen. Fairness doesn't exist. That's the idea of fairness distilled. Everybody thinks that they can be right at the same time. Essentially. You can't. It's, it's, it's a lunatic idea. It's a lunatic idea that we're actually trying to enact into reality and, 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 and the process of enacting it into reality is tearing apart our society at the seams. And so we have a responsibility, each of us do, to kind of not focus on the outside, the external, but to go inside, to work on yourself, man, to focus about on, on what, what's messing you up as an individual, in what ways you're not treating people around you correctly, or what responsibilities in your life you're not taking proper care of, and fix those things so that you can be the thing when more responsibility comes your way, you can pick that up. But you don't go out looking for more responsibility before you're ready for it. It's one of the issues I, I also saw when I was in D.C. is there's a lot of people that think, hey, I went and learned about this and now I'm the thing that can solve all the world's problems. And then you have literally, what, how many people live in there? I think it's like 490 some thousand people in that city, just in the city itself, not in the outskirts, that all think that they're there to solve and fix, <laughs> you know what I mean, to be the one thing that fixes everything. If you were ready for that responsibility, you were ready to be in that position, trust me, like that position is going to find you. 
know what I mean? Especially in today's day and age. Like I said, there's a lack of leadership, a void of it. So if you have any kind of leadership quality at all, it stands out like a sore thumb right now. Don't go chasing for shit you're not ready for. <laughs> we have a lot of people doing that. It doesn't. It's not an age thing either. You know, there could be somebody very young or somebody very old that could equally be as inexperienced or experienced or ready for or, or not ready for whatever position it entails. I think there's there's certain aspects. That, I think one of the things that makes a leader a, a lead that is recognizing one that they can't get their clues or their their they can't get their answers from things around them. I see. I've I have talked to so many people throughout my professional career, and you know, career, <laughs> uh, career. And uh, do you know what every single one of them said, or when I've ever talked to them, or not directly? It's not like I've asked every single one of them, but in every single conversation, it's always like in some ways you've gotten this either this vibe from people or they've said this that everybody thinks that they're a good leader. I know you know this is true. I know you felt this or seen this too. It's hilarious. It's absolutely hilarious. But everybody out there, nobody realizes that most people are shit leaders. Most people are. It's 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 actually like, it's the flip. Like most, it's the inverse of what people present. It's like people present as if most people can be leaders. That's what most organizations would like to believe, and so they've developed a system in which they can make a leader. And it's like, no, you can't. <laughs> No, you can't because the leader is created internally. They have to choose that path. A leader is somebody that gets their cl- clues from the inside, that knows intuitively what direction is correct and what direction they should take, and that's what causes them to lead other people that way. Get it? You don't get to sit and watch the world and be like, oh, yeah, I'm going to do what they did. Follow me. That's not leadership. Look at any any significant leader throughout history. They did something groundbreaking that had never been done before. Or they ventured off into some wilderness. Or they or they, they said something or they did something that was radical and it caused people to wake the fuck up and look, right? And then they follow when that happens. That's what leadership is. It's rare. It's very, very, very rare. The state of the modern world should demonstrate to you how exceedingly rare real leadership is. And that we are starving for it in the modern day. And that the only way we're going to find where our leaders lie in this world is by each of us turning internally and figuring out if we're enough to even handle the shit that surrounds us. Let alone the responsibility or weight of being something like a president or a senator or a whatever. Or a cop. Or what I mean, all of these entail huge responsibility. Yet we don't do the internal work to see if we're even the thing that can handle doing the fucking dishes. But here's a gun. Or here's like control over deciding what the populace is best for the populace. This is the problem. We need to realize, and we need to figure out a way, I'm kind of talk through this, I guess, or talking to myself, because like I said, I listen back to these myself, and I don't edit them first, I just listen to them, so I can have the same experience you have, because I think this is how you lead yourself or other people. I'm trying to bring that dialogue into a, a, a space where you can visualize it. This is what should happen internally for you. 
every day. You should be talking to yourself this way and figuring out where the fuck you're flawed and where, what you need to do today and what you didn't do properly and how you can put yourself better back together again and, how, and just recognizing how deeply and utterly incapable of being perfect you are every single day and then, and then choosing to be the thing that still tries to be it even though you know you can't. That's life. That point, that path, that way is when you'll find like the true the true of truth of what you are, what you're supposed to be and what you're supposed to do. That comes towards you once you fix everything else. But when we rely on systems to set up everything in a linear way and tell us, hey, all you need to do is check off these boxes, finish and complete these steps, and then you're going to be everything you ever need to be to realize your dreams. That is the worst lie we could have ever told somebody or people. It's one of the reasons you have so many people that are homeless. We don't like to admit that, but that if there is any culpability that we have as a society, that's it. It's that we've failed to spark or recognize inside each of those individuals their unique capacity to be something beautiful and to provide something of novel value. The fact that they're living in squalor and and their own like excrement demonstrates how much we as a society value their individual capability to produce that. I hope that we start moving in a direction that we each individually start finding within ourselves the thing that makes us... I hope you find whatever gives you the strength to follow that path, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Regardless of if it's what the religious name is called or even if it is a religion, like I said, maybe it's something that you just are so damn passionate about you can't ignore it. A person, a place, or thing. God, it's beautiful when that happens, isn't it? So follow those things. And I think that's leadership. <laughs> you know what I mean? Man, when you see somebody that knows what they're, where they're going, you want to figure out how the hell they know that. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? It's like you, you see somebody that knows where they're going and they're like, how did you figure it out, man? And there's a look about these people. It's, a, it's literally a different look. It's like a spark in the eye. And you can find that yourself. But it's like very individual process. There is no generic map. It's yours. It's your specific map. You got to figure it out. And, you know, guys, I think with that, I, I'm going to leave it there. I'm at about 50 minutes and that went by really quick. I had a lot to say. Uh, this has been the last couple of weeks, the last month or so has been a really weird, I don't know if you can notice, uh, but it's been a pretty rough or difficult time for me. As I kind of explained in the last episode, you know, I had some things in my, my love life that were not going the way I really wanted to. Uh, I had kind of a realization of a realization that, you know, the career path that I had kind of diverted to wasn't going to maybe be what I wanted it to be. Right. But all of this has led me to a place remarkably where I sit now where I'm like, oh my God, this is where I needed to be the whole time. I prioritized this. I found my calling. And I hope now that I can continue to develop whatever this is uh, so that it, it continually, like I said, demonstrates, I think, the process that has been successful for me. Now, no, I'm not sitting here with a million freaking dollars and all this shit, but I am sitting in a place where I am completely and utterly satisfied and happy. And I think you can be there too. And I think that um, 
but I do think you have a choice and nobody else can make that for you. And with that, that is the Unfounded Podcast signing off. I will be back at it soon, guys. I hope you stay safe out there, stay sane out there. And remember, you are not alone in this. Uh, You have every opportunity to live your best life, so do that. All right? And I will talk to you soon. Bye-bye.